listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Hey, today's a special day. Today's a special day. Today is Support Staff Appreciation Day. Do you love your support staff? Let them know, yeah? So this, this is not a day to honor me and, and to honor my wife. That, that's, you guys do a great job of that, and, um, and not that we ask for that, but I can tell you our staff, they don't ask for this either. Um, but this is always a special day that we get to honor the support staff. And so later on, at, at the end of this service, we're going to uh, take up an offering specially for them. I believe it's scriptural. I do. I believe we are to share all good things with, with those that give us instruction in the Lord. And so we're going to be able to bless them. Um, and, and so we'll tell you how to do that later. But let me introduce you to our support staff so you'll know who I'm talking about. I want to start with our administrative pastor, Andrew Petrush. If you'll stand, Andrew. Wait, wait. Keep standing. That's a nice choice of outfit today, bro. I'm really digging, digging the color. I almost wore a white shirt, too. That's what's scary. I almost wore a white shirt. Yeah, you look good, man. You look good. Um, our administrative assistant and finance manager, Alexis Meacham. Look, look, Alexis. We match, too. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sometimes those things come to my head, and I wish they didn't. I regret it later, because that's on the World Wide Web right now. Yeah. Our children's ministry director, Jennifer Ratter. Our student ministry pastor, Pastor Scott Campbell. And his better half, Nikki Campbell, who is our receptionist and administrative assistant. It, <laughs> that was quick. I literally turned this way and you were already back down. So, Guys, I... I I know that um, you see them in passing, you see them running, some of you, you know them really well. I'm so, I'm so blessed with such a wonderful team around me, and, and you're going to know that even more by the end of the day. But you can learn a lot about your team from spending some time in an, in an escape room together. When you've got 60 minutes to save the world, and you're in an escape room, you can learn a lot about each other, and it has become one of our favorite activities to do together. We, we, we can't just do one. When we do our staff day out, I'm telling you, we do at least two. We have been known to do three in one day because the world needs us. <laughs> we, we sense the calling on our lives to avoid a Cuban Missile Crisis. And so we fix those things for you so that you can sleep easy at night. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, but escape rooms have become one of our favorite things to do. And I've, I've learned a lot about my team. Uh, first thing I've learned is that Alexis is, is highly competitive and expects everyone else in the room to be the same way. She does. If you know Alexis, you know what I'm talking about. I have learned this, that in a startling moment, when we're caught off guard and we are scared, that Pastor Andrew and I, we might find ourselves in a full embrace holding each other. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. But you're not supposed to ha have like live action characters, like real people dressed up in an escape room, and they did. And when that door opened and that girl from the ring is coming down the hallway at us, we held each other like two little girls. <laughs> it happened. How many of you have ever been called the wrong name by Pastor Scott? Just be honest. He, he knows. It's, it's a spiritual gift that he has. It's this, yeah, his, his own daughter is saying, I've been called the wrong name. Yeah. 
That's why you're my favorite, Campbell. His daughter, not him. Um, We have discovered that in a dimly lit room that it's not just you that he gets confused. In a dimly lit room, Pastor Scott might, might, I'm not saying that happened, he might have mistaken someone else for his wife and gave them a little love tap. (laughs) And I was the only one in the room facing that direction that saw her face and his face when he realized it. And it was one of the best moments of my life. (laughs) But I have learned that in a crisis situation, these are the people that I want to be in the room with. Whether we are solving a murder on the Orient Express, escaping a prison, navigating the madness of an insane asylum, or stealing art. I do not want to be in the room with anyone else but these guys. These are the people that I want by my side. And I've got the task today to preach a message that will, one, honor them, but two, minister to you. And I pray that I can do that as I talk to you on the subject, in good company. Come on, would you say it with me? Say, in good company. Say it again. In good company. When I was a kid, I memorized this old adage that has helped me make some wise decisions about the company that I keep. Maybe you've heard it before. It goes something like this. You can pick your friends, and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. I could just stop right there, and that's words to live by right there, right? There are many things in life that we cannot choose. You understand this, right? Like, you can't choose the weather, how many of you enjoyed this, this past week? Cooler, cooler at, at, in the morning and at night. It's, yeah, it's been great. But you can't choose that because next week's coming and it's just going to be hot again. You, know? you can choose where you live, what climate you live in. And, 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 but day to day, Mother Nature has a way of creating weather that you have no choice in. You, you can't choose your family. You know that. Your blood relatives, you can't choose them. You would if you could. If you could, you'd just kick some of them right on down the road, wouldn't you? I mean, just, that, that's a little loud as your son sits next to you, but that's okay. God, God, yeah, God bless him. Mom, I have a complex. I wonder why. Um, there's things in life that you just can't choose. You can't choose what people think. They just... They just have a mind of their own. And I know that this catches some of you by surprise because you honestly believe that your political posts are going to change their minds and change the world. How's that working out? When in reality, let's let's think about this, okay? Because who we follow and who follows us on social media, the only people following you, they look like you, they act like you, they believe like you, you can't. You can't change people's minds. You can't, you can't choose that for them. You can, however, choose your friends. Your closest acquaintances, you can choose them. And I submit to you today, church, that you should carefully examine who you spend the most time with. You should carefully examine who you confide in 
And who helps determine the trajectory of your life? If I could get you to understand how important this decision is because we all go through life sometimes getting this wrong. And we allow outside voices into our head and we allow people who don't have a divine worldview like we do. Like we want to see the world the way that God sees the world. We want our heart to be broken for the things that breaks his heart. And sometimes we allow an outside influence to get into our hearts and into our minds and we don't even understand it through those simple conversations and sometimes intense conversations with the people that we allow into our inner circle. We don't allow how it is beginning to determine the trajectory of where God wants our lives to go. And so I've, I've created this working definition for the word choose today that, that I want to use for this and it's to select from numerous possibilities to select from numerous possibilities. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're, 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 you're thinking that you don't have possibilities when it comes to the people that you're surrounded with. You're like, Pastor Rocky, you just don't know me. I just don't have a lot of friends. And, and to that, I, I would say you have a choice because the scripture says if you want friends, you have to show yourself friendly. And so if you want to increase the circle of friends, you just need to, to be nicer to more people. We don't have time to get into all that. I want to so bad. I mean, but you can, you can choose to increase the number of people that you know simply by being friendly, simply by just being a good neighbor, and, and, and that can increase, and therefore you have choices. Some of you, you've got many people to choose from, but you're just allowing the wrong people to have a voice in your life. And so we have numerous possibilities, and, and, and we have to be careful on who we choose into our inner circle. And this is one of the areas that is often overlooked by many believers. And, and to them, it's no harm, no foul. They don't see the importance of it. And, and, and what, I, what I want you to understand is, is that for the older ones in the room, as I preach this message today, you're going to, to come to this realization and you're going to be like, that's why I've faced all the hardship. That's why I've gone through all the trials. It's because of who I allowed to speak into my life. And then there's another group of people here that you still have time. You still have time to, 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 to make some of those choices because you've got friendships on both sides and you're allowing one voice to be louder than the other and it, and it is, is causing you some problems. And yet there's even another group of people that are younger that if I can get this into you right now, if I can get you to understand that the choices of your acquaintances matters, it is going to save you a whole lot of heartache, a whole lot of pain if you can just get what I'm saying right now. A few years ago, Mandy and I, we, we came to the realization that we had to put some distance between us and another couple that we were close with. And the reason why we had to put that distance there is because we, we started realizing that every time we went to dinner with them or every time we were at their house or they were at our house, every time we were together that the conversation would always go negative and they would talk about people. They would talk about people that we, we both knew, and, and they, would, they would belittle them. They would complain about them, and that stuff rubs off. I can tell you that, that Mandy and I started realizing that we were seeing people and thinking about people in a different light than what we should. As the pastor, I can't afford to do that. I don't need negative influence over the people that, that I, I need to be pastoring. 
I need to be able to look at them through the eyes of grace and, and minister to them and their needs. At times, it, it requires truth, but that has to come from a, a loving heart, not from, from someone who is, who is just negative and judgmental. It can't be that way, and so it was affecting us, and so Mandy and I just decided that, that we, we just had to put some separation there because really, the, the, I mean, you've heard this before. You, you know this, that if you're sitting at a table and they're talking about someone else, who are they talking about when you get up and leave the table? And I started realizing that it quite possibly was, was us. Now, I, I could have confronted it, and if I would have, it, it, it would have caused a lot of friction. There, there would have been some hurt feelings over that, and I, I couldn't control how they would receive it, but, but we could control if we would submit ourselves to that negativity and to that judgmental attitude. And we chose to walk away from that. Now, the people I'm talking about, I have to admit to you, they're believers. Christians. Albeit not mature in their faith, but, but Christians. Their lifestyle was not sinful, per se. It, it, it wasn't. It was just negative and judgmental. And I guess that, that can become sinful. But sometimes... And some of you will relate to this. Sometimes the choice is a little bit more obvious. Like you don't come to that conclusion uh, 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 like gradually. It's like immediately you know. But if you don't draw a line in the sand, you're going to allow that type of influence and, and, and that kind of sinful lifestyle into your life. And, and you'll become callous to it. You won't even realize it anymore. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit just brings it to, to, to our attention. And it's just very obvious. It's people that, that live a life that is contrary to the word of God. And, and, and uh, I, I, here's where I get frustrated. Because parents will come to me and, and they're like, I don't understand my, my kid's choice of friends. And I'm looking at their life going, well, I understand your kid's choice of friends. Because look at your choice of friends. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And you've got to realize, parents, I can't stress this to you enough. You do have a say-so over who your children are friends with. Well, there's three of you over here that agree with me. And one of them was my wife. You do have a choice, parents, over who your, your kids are friends with. Not only do you have a choice... I would say you have a mandate. It is your responsibility. They are children for a reason. They don't know how to make those kinds of decisions. It is your job to help them make those kinds of decisions until they are old enough to make those decisions for themselves. And while they're living under my roof, I have the right to help them choose who their friends are. My daughter is almost 24 years old. Yes, she works her own job. She has her own car, pays her own bills. But she still lives under my roof. I get to choose who her friends are. Oh, you don't like this today, do you? Hmm. Can't wait for you to talk about me at the dinner table today. It's going to happen. <laughs> In Mark chapter 2, we find a man that has carefully chosen his friends. And he found the right ones. 
Now, I hesitated in preaching for Mark chapter 2 today because about a year and four months ago, four or five months ago, I preached from this passage, and, and I, I, I'm so careful that I don't want to go back and preach something too soon. However, God has just taken me a completely different direction, and so I want to read from Mark chapter 2 and read about this man that chose his friends carefully. Now, the same encounter that we're going to read about with Christ is also found in Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 5. Matthew chapter 9, Luke chapter 5, and then in our text today in Mark chapter 2. Now, in Matthew and Luke, their descriptions of this event, they're good. They're good. But Mark shares some interesting details that the other two leave out. It's not that they're wrong. He just went into detail a little bit more. And so let me kind of set this up for you before we read from Mark chapter 2. It's, it's not long after the ministry of Christ, the earthly ministry of Christ has started. It's, it's just a few days after um, he had healed Peter's mother-in-law before Peter was a disciple. He healed his mother-in-law, the fever that she had. And Jesus, he, he embarked on what we believe to be his first ministry tour. He, he went throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and, and, and casting out demons and so that's his first ministry tour, and, and he comes back to Capernaum. Now, you will remember he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. And, and somewhere along the way, probably in his early adult years, he relocates to the seaside city of Capernaum. And, and probably one of the big reasons why is because it's from there that you can easily get to different sides of the lake. It's, it's, it's greater for traveling purposes. But he also calls a lot of fishermen to follow him. His disciples, many of them were, were connected with one another through the fishing trade. And so he calls them to, to come and be fishers of men with him. And so he's, he's based now out of Capernaum. And he gets back from his first ministry tour preaching in the synagogues, casting out demons. And, and he returns home to Capernaum, and he retreats to his home, which is just, you never thought about that, have you? Jesus had a home in Capernaum. I don't know if he rented it. I don't know if he built it. He was the son of a carpenter, so maybe he built it. I don't know. But, but he, he retreats back to his home for a few days just to rest and recoup after what had to be an exhausting first ministry tour and after a few days off, the people found out that Jesus was, was at home. He was at his house. And so I want to start with Mark chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 12. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And as he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they had let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Never saw anything like this. Now, there's so much to unpack out of these scriptures. We could create a whole series out of this, but, but 
for time's sake, there's just a few things that I want to point out to you. I think that would set the scene for you a little bit better. The first thing that you have to realize in, in that, that Judaism society is that they were works-based. And so if, if something is wrong with you, if you're sick, if you are diseased, if, if you're crippled, then you have done something, either you or your parents have done something to tick God off and therefore God has cursed you with this sickness. And, and, and this is important for us to see because he is in a room full of people that are pressing in, but, but these, these religious pious the religious pious are standing over on the side and they're judging everything that's happening there. And so no doubt there had been moments when this man had been told, you know, you've done something to offend God. You've done something to, to, to upset God. What, what is your sin? What is your great sin? What have you done wrong? In the middle of all that, and these people pressing in because they want to hear what Jesus has to say, they, they've heard that he's been teaching in the synagogues, that he's been casting out demons, and they're pressing in to hear what he has to say. There are four men, four men, that they have a paralytic friend, and each one of them grab a corner of a bed, and they begin walking towards the house of Jesus. Now, when they get there, it is packed. There is no way possible for them to move into the house. Keep that on the back of your mind just for a moment. Church, I want you to know that not all paralysis is physical. Sometimes we freeze simply out of fear. We freeze because we're afraid the past is going to catch up with us. We're afraid to walk into the future because of the current state that we're living in now. So we're stuck, powerless. We are motionless. We cannot move. There's something that I call a mental paralysis. Man, the world right now, I think, is in a mental paralysis. We can't think for ourselves. We, we, we are constantly looking at Facebook and, 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 and we're looking at social media and we're, we're allowing others to put thoughts into our head. And it doesn't matter if you're on the left or you're on the right. Most of us in the room, we fall victim to this so many times. And it doesn't even have to be true anymore because there are no, like, true sources of truth anymore that we can trust. And so we're, we're all just buying into these things and nobody can think for themselves anymore. So now the, the United States of America, if not the world, we're stuck in this mental paralysis. But let's be honest, sometimes it gets a little bit closer to home because some of us, we might find ourselves in marital paralysis. You know what that's like to be stuck in a marriage that, that it seems like there's no hope, there's, there's no way out, there's nothing you can do, and so you're just going through the motions, and it, it is just a horrible state to be in because you just feel hopeless in the process, and you are paralyzed in your marriage. For others, it might be a spiritual paralysis. You know what that's like. You, you, you are offended at God, so you don't do what you're supposed to do. Or you're doubting even the existence of a God. You feel like he is so far away. God, God is not speaking. He cannot be seen by your spiritual eyes anymore. And so you find yourself stuck. Sometimes our spiritual paralysis is because of sin that is so prevalent in our lives, and we don't have the power within ourselves to move beyond it. We have taken on that battle by ourselves and not given it to the Lord, and we find ourselves in a spiritual paralysis because not all paralysis is physical. Maybe you're the paralyzed friend. Might have been carried into this house today. They brought people to the house of Jesus. Well, this is the house of God, amen? 
Maybe someone brought you here today, carried you here on a metaphorical stretcher. You didn't want to be here, but, but there's someone that cared enough about you that they kept nagging you and saying, I need you to come to the house of God with me. I want you to come to church with me. And so they brought you here to the house of God, and it is here where I believe that we can be made whole again. Well, these four friends, they are determined to get their buddy to Jesus. But the house is full. They've carried him all that way, but they get to the house, and there's no way to get into the house to actually get their friend to Jesus. But have you ever had one of those friends in your life that they make decisions without thinking through all the consequences? You know, let's just skip work and go fishing. And in your mind, you're like, well, I've got responsibilities. And they're like, forget responsibilities. It's one day. Let's just go. And then you get out there and the boat breaks down. And you're like, I knew I shouldn't have listened to you. They just, they just don't think everything through. They just kind of, you know, they're just kind of free with everything. And they just kind of just, just move with the wind. And it makes you a little jealous sometimes because they're, they're a little off. We all know they're a little off. But you need friends that are a little off sometimes, don't you? Because it's the little off people that they tend to have great faith when it's time to have great faith. You know who I'm talking about. It's the people that are a little off that when, when they stand up in the boat and they say, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come to you. And he says, well, Peter, get out of the boat and walk towards me. And he's just a little off. And he gets out of the boat without even thinking. And he just starts walking on water. It's those kind of people. And, and, and somewhere in, in this friend group, these, these four guys, poor Fred's laying there on the stretcher. They're looking at him, and one of those guys says, guys, I've got an idea. Let's go up on the roof. Can you imagine Fred? Fred's like, oh, Lord. I want to meet Jesus alive. Somehow they figure out a way to get Fred up on the roof. And one of them says, what are we going to do now? And the friend's just a little off. He says, it's not my house, it's God's house. Let's just rip the roof off this thing. <laughs> and so they just start tearing the roof off. And Jesus is standing there teaching this crowd, this multitude's pressed into his house. And dust is falling from the ceiling, you know. And he's like, what is, what's going on here? And they look down and they're like, hey, Jesus, we got somebody here that needs to see you. How are we going to get him down? They pick him up and they're holding him over the, the, the hole in the roof. I can just picture Fred. Fred's like, guys, put me down. Okay. <laughs> ah! It's not like it's going to hurt him. He's paralyzed. Sorry. I mean, what have you got to lose, right? All three Gospels that tell this story, they all have this one detail that's in common. It's in chapter 2, verse 5. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. But all, all three of the Gospels that tell this story, they tell this same thing. Listen, and when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four friends, when Jesus saw their faith, 
he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I don't even know how to process this. Because it goes completely against my theology. You know, what I think I know about the kingdom of God. Which, by the way, none of us have it figured out. If your theology is a little bit different than mine, you're okay. If mine's a little different than you, it's, it's fine. But this, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. This goes against the grain of my beliefs. Because we know that a personal relationship with Jesus and his forgiveness, it is a personal thing. Like, we know that, that God doesn't have grandchildren. Like, you're not grandfathered in on this thing. You either know Jesus personally or you don't. But Jesus sees the faith of his friends and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say, I see the faith of your friends, so I'm going to heal you and you can get up and walk. That comes later. He saw the faith of the man's friends and he looks at the man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. I don't even have the mental, mental capacity today to figure out how that relates to my theology. I'm not even going to try to unpack that and, and try to explain it. All I know is this. This is the truth I get out of it. And here's what I think God wants us to know. I just need some friends that believe when I don't believe. Some friends that have faith when I have doubt. Because somehow, some way that gets the attention of God. He, however his salvation worked out in that moment, that's between him and Jesus. But what I do know is that there are moments in my life when I feel so far away from Jesus and I just need some friends that will come and pick up my stretcher and just get me to the feet of Jesus because I need to be there right now. I may not want to go, I may not feel like going, but somehow, some way, they're going to pick me up and they're going to get me to Jesus. That's what I need, friends that have faith when I have doubt. When my career is struggling, they will help me get to Jesus. When my finances are in despair, they will help me get to Jesus. When my marriage is in trouble, they will get me to Jesus. When I don't believe in my wife and she does not believe in me, when I don't believe in my job, when I don't believe in myself, I need friends. I need friends that will get me to Jesus. You need friends that will pick you up. Even when you're kicking and screaming and you don't want to go. That they'll move heaven and earth just to get you to the feet of Jesus. You need friends that will walk through hell with you. To get you to Jesus. I'm convinced, church, that God has ordained people for our lives. Like, he has ordained, destined for people to be a part of our lives. 
And, and if I could just get you to realize that if you waste time with the wrong people, you're never going to meet the right ones. We only have a capacity for a certain number of, of close friendships. Jesus only had 12. And sometimes I think that we just spin our wheels, we go through the motions, and we're just wasting time on people that are speaking death into our lives and not life into our lives. And sometimes they do it all in the name of religion also. We've got to learn to stop wasting our time on the wrong people so that there's room in our life for the right people. Well, pastor, that seems pretty hard. No, no, listen to me. Scripture gives us mandates for this. Proverbs 12 and 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13 and 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Proverbs 20 and 19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Just give me my phone. I'm going to unfriend a bunch of people right now. <laughs> Proverbs 22 and 24, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, the apostle Paul said in the New Testament, do not be deceived Bad company ruins good morals. If you surround yourself with offended people, you too will become offended. If you associate yourself with angry people, you're going to become an angry person. If you surround yourself with greedy people, if you're not careful, you're going to become a greedy person. We become who we're with, who we hang out with. Now, now I want you to, to hear me out on this because I'm not saying that there's not a place in your life for unbelievers. Please hear me. There's a place for unbelievers in your life, acquaintances, friendships. When you have a friendship with an unbeliever, an acquaintance with an unbeliever, there should be one main objective, and that's to point them to Jesus Christ. That is the objective when you are in a relationship, in a friendship with an unbeliever. It is to point them to Jesus. That means with everything that you do, with every action, with every statement that comes out of your mouth, you need to be pointing them to the cross of Christ. You need to live a life in such a way that they want what you have. They want the relationship. They will desire a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords simply because of their association with you. And we look at these friendships sometimes, and, and what we're doing is we're allowing them to invest in us instead of us investing in them. And you should never be going to an unbeliever for advice. You should never be going to an unbeliever for, for direction. You, you should never go to an unbeliever asking them how to live your Christian life because their values are not your values. The worldview that you have is not their worldview. They just haven't come to that knowledge yet. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, Paul said, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you think you've got it all together, be careful. When you are in relationships with, with unbelievers, you need to be careful because it's a whole lot easier to be pulled down than it is to be pulled up. 
Don't go to the ungodly for advice or direction. They should come to you. And, and I hear the voices right now. I, I hear it. But pastor, you don't understand. They get me. She's my person. You've said it, haven't you? We're just so much alike. Exactly. Exactly. You're, you've, you're proving my point. You are who you hang out with. You are so much alike. But we've got to get to the place to where we, we, we are in relationship with believers and allow iron to sharpen iron. But Pastor, we've been friends since we were children. And one of you is growing up and the other one is still a child. Which our parents just messed that whole thing up, didn't they? You remember going over to cookouts and different things and all the parents would get together and they'd send all the children outside to play? And now everybody's grown up and you see what they've become? I mean, I would just wonder if parents ever look at the, the adult children anymore and be like, why did I let my kid hang out with them, you know? I can't stress to you how important it is to get you some friends that will stop at nothing to get you to Jesus. That in the deepest, darkest moments of your life, they'll pick you up and they will carry you to the feet of Jesus. One year ago today, September the 26th, 2020, I was listening to a podcast, leadership, Christian leadership podcast, and a book was mentioned I immediately was intrigued by the title, and so I ordered the book a year ago today. The name of the book is called Don't Quit in the Dip. It was catchy. So I thought, well, why not? Like I often do, I, I ordered this book and had it shipped to the church office. And as you know, Amazon, when you order numerous items, sometimes they all come boxed in together. Or they come to the desk and... I'm not exactly sure who opened the box. It had to be probably Nikki or Alexis one. I'm not sure, but one of them opened the box, and I can't imagine what they were thinking when they opened the box and the pastor has ordered a book that says, Don't Quit in the Dip. I can't imagine what they were thinking when they unboxed this during the most difficult year of my life. I don't say that lightly. And those of you that know me, you know it, it, it was. It just was. There's no other way to say it. We had a three and a half year construction project that was supposed to take a year. And it, it just about broke me mentally. And I can tell you, our staff and our council, they did such a great job of protecting me, especially to you. But it was, it was, it was tough especially the last year and a half of the project. It was so hard. Nearing the end of that project and COVID hits and we go on a 10-week shutdown. Our building was ready to move into and we couldn't move into it. Anticlimactic. We had such a great celebration in our minds of what we wanted it to look like, but we opened the building up to criticism on both sides. You've opened too soon. You've waited too long. Uh, there's not enough restrictions. There's too many restrictions. 
And guys, I mean, I'm serious. I had people call me names to my face. I will not repeat it. But they looked at me and called me names, like derogatory names to my face. Some people that I loved didn't make the transition with us from the school into the new building for whatever reason. I, for some, I still don't have a clue. And then my dad, struggling with Alzheimer's, tested positive for COVID-19. And my dad died of COVID pneumonia. So yeah, if you're in my inner circle, knowing what my year was like, and you open an Amazon box and this is inside, I didn't mean to scare anybody. Didn't think anything of it, to be honest. I just wanted to read the book. And as soon as I started reading the book, I started discovering post-it notes that were strategically placed throughout the book. As soon as I opened the front cover, the first note said, hey you, please, for the love, don't quit. I got to chapter one. The post-it note said, in case you missed it, you can't quit. Your staff still loves you. I got to chapter three. The name of the chapter is under the desk with a note that said, look under the desk, for real, do it. I looked under the desk and it's still there today. Post-it note said, nope, still don't think you should quit. <laughs> chapter six was titled, Jesus Sees You in the Dip. And the post-it note said, and so do we. You're hanging in there and doing a great job. I'm not exempt from the attacks of life. You're not exempt. Jesus said that these hardships are going to come. I cannot promise you that without that staff that I wouldn't be the I, I can't promise you that I would still be the pastor here today if it wasn't for them and, and you didn't know that when I was at my lowest they each grabbed a part of the, the bed and they carried me When I didn't want to get up and go, when I didn't want to be around people, they picked me up and they took me to Jesus. You've got to surround yourself with people that on your darkest, darkest days... They carry you to Jesus, not the grave. You got to put people around you that 
when your life is struggling, they'll carry you to the cross, not to destruction. People that will look at you and say, this isn't your fault. This isn't because of sin in your life. This isn't because you did something wrong. This isn't. Mm -mm. People that have the love of Christ in them that is flowing so rich and so deep that when they know you're fragile, they will pick you up and stop at nothing short of sin to get you to Jesus. And I've got those people in my life. And friend, you need those people in your life. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.